This morning, as I thought about uh, what to do, I'm going to try to do what the Lord Jesus does with his sermon, and that is apply it. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, how to apply the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to take our instruction from that, from the scriptures itself, the entire, the inspired text. Um, So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And basically the topic that we're going to be discussing, and you'll see it from the text here in a minute, is the topic of Christian obedience. We're going to try to define that this morning from this text. What it means to be obedient to the Lord. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24, ending at verse 29. And that's the blessing of expository preaching, right? You, you don't make up the topics and you don't determine, you know, what you're really going to talk about. It's, all, it's there. there. The preacher has to work it out through the week. What do I do with this? How do I organize it? And how do I apply it? But God gives us the content and the material. Amen? So... I had to acclimate my soul to want to hear this this week. Um, Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24, ending at verse 29. This is the word, words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock, or the rock. And the rains descended... The floods came and the winds blew, excuse me, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it is, or so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Okay, here's how I'm going to handle this text this morning. First, I'm going to review and tie it in with our last discussion from last week, because there should be continuity, brethren, in in our teaching, right? Uh, Secondly, I'm going to establish the historical context of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, That way it won't be so personal for us. You know, I can always uh, just point to the nation of Israel, those sorts of things. And then lastly, we're going to apply the sermon. And I'm going to give you five principles for how to build your life on the solid rock of God's Word. And let me just say this before we begin. I believe that the rock in this text, is not a reference to being a Christian or being built so much upon Christ as it is you and I obeying the Word of God. Make sense? Okay, I don't want to spend time getting into that this morning. I know some scholars believe the rock is a reference to Jesus and they'll preach a sermon on how to come to Christ, an evangelistic sermon and so on and so forth, and that's good, but I think it misses the point of what Jesus is doing in closing out the Sermon on the Mount. So if you track with me, Jesus just got through preaching the sermon, right? right? And all these things, and he's saying, now look, 
Those of you who hear these sayings of mine and put it into practice, I will liken you to those who build their house on a rock. Get it? And those of you who have just heard these sayings of mine and don't put it into practice, I will liken you unto those who build their foundations on what? Sand. You see the point? So we have to be very careful that we don't misapply the text, right? Because of ideas that can float around sometimes just in evangelical circles and so on and so forth. So I'm going to try to apply the text the way the Lord Jesus is. Um, Let's pray and ask for God's help. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it is your very breath. It is your heart, your mind. And as we meditate upon it, Lord, we know that you are with us through your word. We know that your word is the essence of who you are. And we know it's not limited, Lord, to the pages in this book, which we call the Bible. We know that the word was made flesh in the history of humanity and became one of us and dwelt amongst sinners and gave him his life that we might have life. And we thank you that your word is living and it cuts and it heals, it reproves and rebukes but it edifies and strengthens. And God, you have ordained these things to be our portion as your people. And so we, we ask, we sit at your feet this morning, praying that you would come and refresh us in your word, Lord God. Feed our hungry souls, God. Equip us for what we will face this week, the challenges you will bring our way. Build us up in the most holy faith, Lord God. Help us to see Jesus Christ for who he truly is. And help us to have sweet communion with you through your word, we ask. And God, I pray that um, you would help me to be faithful to your word, that your people might truly grow and be edified. And we ask it all for your glory. Amen. All right, so the first thing I want to do is I want to review and kind of tie in uh, our talk with what we discussed last week. And last week I I mentioned three dangers that the nation of Israel fell into and allowed themselves to fall into um, that led to their apostasy as a nation. And you guys keep in mind, historically, this is why the nation of Israel crucified their Messiah. Okay, I know there's heaven's vantage point as to why the nation of Israel crucified their Messiah, and that's God's eternal decree, right? That God from eternity past had already worked these things out, but we're not, we're not, the scriptures don't come to us from heaven's panish point all the time. It meets us where we are. Jesus Christ worked all this out in history, all right? And <clears throat> so from our vantage point, <clears throat> excuse me, the nation of Israel became apostate because they allowed themselves to fall into three things that the Lord Jesus Christ highlights in the Sermon on the Mountain. All throughout, you'll see this all throughout the Old Testament as well. The first thing we talked about was nominalism. Israel allowed themselves to do things in name only. Their faith had no impact upon their hearts. 
and they worshiped externals. And Jesus said it this way, and, I, or, or, and you'll see this all throughout the, the Gospels as well. These people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, for in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine, what? Traditions, the commandments of men. Do you understand? And see, that's what any people who once know the truth and begin to deviate from God's word, that's, that's the, these are the steps. This is what happens. Our religion stays very external. We don't want to talk about the heart stuff. We don't, want to, we don't want our hearts dealt with and so on and so forth. But God has designed his word to do that. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, says the Lord God, the true and living God. Right? <clears throat> and we as God's people humbly accept that and receive it. The second thing that, that the nation of Israel fell into, and I proved all these things from the scriptures themselves last week, was mere hearing. Israel idolatry or was or idolized, I'm sorry, preaching and hearing the word of God. And they refused to be doers of the word. Ezekiel 33 and all throughout your Old Testament, you'll see this. Okay? This is why God sent the prophets. All right? <clears throat> prophet number one, <clears throat> all the way down to prophet 28, or how many ever prophets he sent. God sent them to the nation to show them, hey, look, you're deviating from my word. Right? And the prophets were to call them back. And this is how you need to understand prophecy. And God told them that before it happened. You guys get it? The whole point of prophesying it? To highlight God's merciful, gracious character. I'm going to send you a prophet, and he's going to tell you what the future is going to be if you don't repent and change your ways. And so the prophets came to prophesy that. All right? In that sense, they told the future so that the people would have ample warning to repent and trust God for his mercy and grace again as a nation. Okay, you see the gospel in that, by the way? Okay, so that's the theme of uh, the Old Covenant. You'll see that there if you read it through, through this lens. Uh, the third thing, Israel, and this is full-blown apostasy, and I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 1 to highlight this in a minute. But the third thing is Israel established their own righteousness or sect, or brand of religion, and they established it in Israel. They asserted it, and <clears throat> we know it today um, as Phariseeism or Judaism. Okay, Judaism, and I want you guys to understand that Judaism was something that um, was established because Israel forsook God. So your understanding of apostasy, meaning to once be faithful and, and to know the truth and then to turn from that, okay, your understanding of apostasy shouldn't start in the first century. You guys tracking with me? Apostasy should start with the nation of Israel who were given the oracles of God, who were given the commandments of God, who had a right understanding of faith. And you'll see that through guys like David, Solomon, you know, and, and, and Samuel, and, and Ezekiel, all these people. What do you think they were preaching? What do you think they knew? You think they had it wrong on how a person gets right with God? As prophets? Of course they didn't. You understand? Israel didn't want that. Israel lost sight of that. Okay? Um, Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. I'm just going to use this as a launch this morning. 
It's all going somewhere, brothers and sisters. We'll be back in the Sermon on the Mount. So Isaiah says this. First of all, let's read the uh, heading here. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So that heading lets you know who the prophet, who God sent the prophet to, which kings and the generation, right? And it was something that Hezekiah, or I'm sorry, Isaiah was to foretell. And these kings, their responsibility was to let the nation of Israel know, hey, this is the word of God. They were under a theocracy, right? Everything came through the prophets. Everything came through to God, through the prophets. The prophets would go to the kings, and the, kings, or the prophets were commissioned to, to, to bring the word of God to the kings, and the kings were to lead the nation according to God's word or their own carnal biases, opinions, and political whatever, right? You understand? So Isaiah was commissioned to go to these kings, and he was to do so because God had decreed that the nation of Israel would go into captivity if they didn't repent, and they would be overrun by their enemies, okay? And he opens his preaching with this, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. So what Isaiah is saying is he's painting a picture here, is I've brought you up and I nurtured you like children, Israel. And a donkey knows its crib, and um, ox knows its master, but Israel no longer knows me. You guys get the picture so far? This is how the book begins, by the way. How do you like those apples? Right? If it's beginning this way, and we got, what, 50-something chapters in here? Woo! He says, verse 4, Alas, sinful nation. Wow. A people laden with iniquity, iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who who are corruptors, they, here's apostasy, they have forsaken the Lord. Stop, don't just overlook that. What does that mean? It means, it, it implies Israel was once what? Right with God, knew the truth, faithful, had, had good preachers. You understand? And they forsook it. You understand? That's how you need to read the Old Covenant, brothers and sisters. All right? They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. And stricken means, why should I chastise you one more time? You will just rebel against it. And he's going to explain to the nation why. Because they allowed themselves to become hard and dull of hearing. And they didn't want to hear it anymore. And when we don't want to hear it anymore, what do we do? We start to backbite. We start to get aggressive. And we start to say, don't, don't, don't tell me about that anymore. Right? That's how the nation of Israel became callous and cold towards the word of God and the prophets. 
He says, verse 6, from the, watch the condition he paints here. He, verse 5, why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. This is speaking about the nation. From the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. The whole, they have not been clo- closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. You guys get the picture here? It's like something that's sick. Right? And, and the doctor comes in and says, you know what? I don't think we can save it. You understand? The whole head from the head to the foot is sick. And it's, with, it's got these sores on it and everything. We're probably going to have to what? Just make it very comfortable for them. Because there's nothing we can what? Do. That's the condition of the nation of Israel when Isaiah is coming to them. But keep in mind, brothers and sisters, this was all what? Prophesied. So the kings have a responsibility to what? There's hope. If Isaiah, if you're painting this picture, but it's not going to happen for another two or three years because it's prophetic, what should I do? You understand? Preach. Get this message out. Let the people know. So they'll have opportunity and time to repent and turn and mend their ways because God is merciful, gracious, and slow to anger and abundant in mercy. And he's a forgiving God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And Jesus Christ's death on the cross provided that for us, both old covenant and new. Do you understand? But that's the gospel. Don't forget that. All right? He says this. He says, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and so on and so forth. They have not been closed up or bound or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard. See the picture there? Enemies come in and just ravage the land. It's like Afghanistan in certain parts, right? In Africa, you can just tell war-torn countries, right? Just ravaged, right? Broken buildings and rubble all over the place and not being repaired and, you know, that kind of thing. Just desolate. That's the picture here that God's painting through Isaiah. He says, your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth and vineyard as a hut and a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. And guys, don't think that you can't understand the word of God. It's very simple, right, and plain. It's not a mystery. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become or made like Gomorrah. So Isaiah is likening the people in Hezekiah in these kings' days to the people in whose day? Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how they were corrupting themselves as a nation. And watch the terminology here. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Ouch. It's Isaiah speaking to the kings. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. That's the nation of Israel that he's talking to here. He says, I want you to think about this. Go back to that time in your history where you knew about Abraham and, and, and uh, uh, the, 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 uh, um, the portion of Scripture where it talks about the destruction of Sodom, Gomorrah, and so on and so forth. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, of lambs, and goats. 
That's the sacrificial system that Israel was under. And they were just coming in, serving God, doing that, right? It'd be like us just coming to church, us just going through the routine of externals. So this was a part of their church service, if you will. You understand that? Sacrifices. And God says, you're missing it. What's that to me? I don't care about all that stuff. What? You don't? Listen, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? To trample my courts, bring no more futile sacrifices, incense is an abomination to me, the new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. And we should be like, but God, you, you, you established the new moons. You established the sacrifices. You established the feast days. You established all these externals. Right? Externals. And God is saying to Israel, I get that, but you're missing the point. He says, my soul hates your new moons and your appointed feast days. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. That would be prayer. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Now watch where God goes in his character. And I want you guys to pay attention to the character of God here. The Lord sees, this is God's heart. This is what interests God as a nation, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, 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 as him bringing up the children of Israel, calling him my son and my child, my children. He says this. He says, Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. That means, you guys, we are not to just sit around and let evil happen as God's people. You need to stand up for justice. You understand that? You need to be indignant the way the Lord would have us to. You understand? We need to stand up against oppression in our communities. Not just sit there and, well, we don't deal with that as Christians because it's all about salvation and the gospel. No, 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 you're missing the point. You are missing the point. That is not the heart of God, and that is a wrong interpretation and application of the scriptures. All right? We need to be involved, and we need to be dying for our communities and our fellow human beings in the name of Jesus. You understand? You tracking with me? He says, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And that's not figurative language, brothers and sisters. That's the truth. That's God's people. That's what they do. Right? James puts it this way. True and undefiled religion is to do what? Care for the fatherless and the widows and the poor and needy. Understand? See Old Covenant and New Covenant? Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, and he just named them, they shall be white as wool. Here's the gospel of snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool, if you are willing, and what? That takes us back to Matthew chapter 7. Hold on a minute before we go back. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord 
has spoken it. Okay? So Isaiah sets the tone for the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel had left off keeping the commandments of God. The kings were greedy and serving themselves and not the people. You know, sort of like a King Saul in Saul's day. And then God found a man after his own heart in David. Okay, and so the prophets and the kings worked to work together to bring the people back. Back to God and his character and what God wants and desires for any nation. Not just the nation of Israel. Okay? So, and then last time we looked at... uh, Isaiah 29, you don't have to turn there, and then you can read Isaiah 20, uh, 58 if you want, and you'll see the whole theme of the book has to do with drawing people back to God, and in the midst of that, God highlighting the gospel, the gospel. And this is where Isaiah 53 comes in, and the servant that's going to sacrifice you know, for God's people, and so on and so forth. But we have to keep it in that context. So, what is my point in starting my sermon this way? Israel had apostatized. You guys with me? Does that make sense? Okay. It finally happened. The unthinkable happened with the nation. They apostatized and they said, no, we're not going to have it. And God says, all right, you're going to go off into what? Captivity. And then this prophetic language that Isaiah was prophesying actually came to pass in the history of the nation of Israel. All right. So that brings us to coming to the scene in Jesus' day and what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. You guys tracking with me? Now, why in the world would Jesus have to preach such a scathing sermon? Because Israel was apostate. Israel had already set up false religion. Israel had already sought and taught people to approach God on the basis of works and not by faith in, in Christ. He wasn't known as the Christ, but Messiah. We'll just call him Messiah, right? You understand? And so in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount, and that's why he says in verse 20, he says, uh, 520, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds that, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you ain't getting into heaven. It's that simple. They got it wrong. They're deceiving you as a people. Get it? And then he begins to correct the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, and that, that, that's what we preach now. Where am I going with all this? I'm trying to paint a picture here, brothers and sisters. The picture is one of Israel being in a full-blown condition of apostasy. And I want to apply it to us now. See, the devil and his false teachers would love for us to practice our own personalized brand of religion and call it obedience. You guys understand? They want you to get your own interpretation of Jesus. And from that, they want you to practice a form of religion. And from that, they want you to, you know, come together and do what we're doing here and develop your communities and call it the will of the Lord. That's what Satan wants us to do. Now, how many people are doing that on the planet right now? A lot. Right, brothers and sisters? Remember, Jesus said, many will be on the broad way that leads to what? Then he goes on to talk about how some will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not, did we not, did we not? And Jesus says, I will have to declare to them, depart from me, you who practice what? And you guys know what lawlessness means in the Greek there? 
It doesn't mean running around drinking and, and carousing and, and punching people every time you see someone and, 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 and watching internet porn and just, woo, just having a good old time. That's not what the term lawless means. It includes that. That's definitely lawless, right? We want to make that straight and clear. But the term lawless actually means to do your own thing. You understand? It means to make up one's own religion. Get it? And call it obedience. Call it I'm serving Jesus. Call it, you call it what you will. And God says, that's still lawlessness. Because you're not really serving who? Me. You're not really obedient to me. You see the picture there in Matthew chapter 7? Okay, turn back there. That's why Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount the way he does. He's going to define just exactly in no uncertain terms what true obedience to the Lord is. This is the whole point of the parable of building your house on the solid rock of God's word. And not the tradition and the whims of false teachers, i.e. who in our historical context, the Pharisees, <coughs> excuse me, and keep in mind, guys, <coughs> the Pharisees were the religious scholars of the day. Do you understand that? Don't be deceived. Don't think that that stuff doesn't happen in our day. You guys tracking with me? Scholars that claim to know the word, that are teaching you, that you're hearing constantly, whether it be on the media, whether it be in books you're reading, whether it be people you're talking to, okay, and you are getting teaching regularly, and you've got to work that out. You got to determine whether that's God's word and you're building on a rock or whether it's human tradition and the doctrines and commandments of men and it's not really the word of God, but yet it claims that it's what? Okay, we are no different than the children of Israel in that sense. You guys get that, right? Okay, I'm just going to pick on one of them that I think is false, Catholicism. Okay, see, I, I think Catholicism builds its theology on sand, no offense if you're a Catholic here. Uh, we just got to call a spade a spade, right? And because it builds its theology on sand, okay, and propagates that, and you hear that, you know, we should be worshiping Mary because she's a co-redemptrix, right? Now you tell me, is that built upon this? Or is it built upon guys who studied this and come up with their own doctrines interpretation of this and built their theology just like the Pharisees were doing, right? They had their commentaries and, you know, this is what they taught the people. And it kept the people from actually studying what? This. You understand? Because you and I, we're so busy in our lives and, and you know, we got so much going on and we trust these men, right? That we'll allow them to teach us. And we'll allow them to lead us what? Astray. That's why Jesus says, be not deceived. Now you see how I'm applying the Sermon on the Mount? You guys get it? <clears throat> you and I have Jesus' word here to avoid, on how to avoid Broadway Christianity. Jesus, in no uncertain terms, is going to tell us how to enter in at the straight gate. And you guys know what the, the simple answer is this. Obey his word. Hear and obey his word. And I want to close out this talk this morning with, with five things that we need to do to avoid Broadway Christianity. And I wish I could spend, you know, spend more time on 
uh, these last points that I've been discussing over the last uh, three to four weeks, but I'm not getting a whole week to prepare my sermons, brothers and sisters. I'm just getting two days at the most, if that. All right, and that's not enough time to marinate and think through the issues and get your Bible verses and really, really, you know, really have something to bring, right? I feel like I'm failing you guys big time. So here we go. An acid test or proof that you and I can know on, that we are on the narrow path is this. It's obedience to the Word of God. It's that simple. All right? And I'm convinced in order for churches to avoid falling into the same self-deception as the nation of Israel and the snare of false teachers and the devil's minions, we as God people must be committed to hearing and obeying God's Word. You guys understand? That has to be our model above all else. Not our traditions, brothers and sisters. And you guys know what I mean by traditions, right? Arminianism, Calvinism, Pentecostalism, those are traditions. You guys understand? Those are traditions. They really are. They're interpretations derived from the word. They're they're theological constructs that have been set up of men, scholars, through the history and quarters of time that pass down these teachings, and all of them think that they're rooted in history all the way down, just like the Pharisees thought they were rooted in Abraham all the way down, and Jesus said, you missed it. You missed it. You missed it. It wasn't about me. You thought it was, but it wasn't. You understand? So he's given his disciples an antidote to that. How to avoid that. So, principle number one. You you ready for this? Y'all ready for this? You must be a Christian. You must be born again. Now I know that sounds very simplistic, but the devil, you guys, is going to try to twist that and destroy that over and over again. You guys realize that, right? He wants us to take it for granted. He wants us to think, ah, you know what? You know, as long as they say they're Christian, bring them in. You know, we've, we've heard it all, we, we, we've fought it all, and we're tired of judging and all this. No, 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 no. Make sure you're a Christian. Don't take that for granted. You understand? Make sure you are a genuine believer. Make sure you understand what it means to get right with God. Don't jump over that. Don't let others teach it. Know what the scriptures teach on that subject. Have it down. Cry out to God that he would bring you clarity if you're not sure about that. Because he will. He's faithful. And he will lead and guide you if you humbly trust him. But make sure you're a Christian. Now, why do I say that in terms of building our lives on the solid rock of God's word? Because, see, in order for you and I to have an appetite for God's, or in order for you and I to love and obey God's word, we have to have an appetite for it. You understand that? It doesn't come natural to us, brothers and sisters, right? How many of you naturally want to be in the word of God? Just me? Gotcha, didn't I? So let me say this. There's a part of us that has to drag ourselves, right? That's called the flesh. And we all get that, Right? But then there's a part of us that God supernaturally makes happen to us for those of us who have received that grace, right? We know that it wasn't born from this stuff within that God has given me an appetite for his word. And that's why you guys are here right now, right? Because you know you've been born again. And what being born again looks like for the people of God is they begin to like, ga ga goo goo, give me milk, 
give me, give me food so that I can grow. Now, I want to show you these points from the Scriptures themselves. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and... And the reason why I'm showing you this is because I don't want to make the same mistake that uh, I'm preaching against here. And that is, we, we don't have our heads in the Word of God. We just take people's word for it. Right? You guys need to see it coming from the pages of Scripture yourself. Over and over and over again. Don't, don't grow weary from that. Okay? First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 22, and then I'll stop. Uh, at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, okay, it's through the Spirit, it's through God giving you His Holy Spirit, that Spirit should be capital in your Bibles. In, am I right? First Peter, chapter 1. I'm sorry, I said 2, right? Yeah, thank you. We on the same page now? Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been, what? Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. You were born again through the Word of God. You say, well, that's all fine and dandy in my head, and that's all abstract. But what does that mean for my life? What does that do for me? Well, keep reading. He says, Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So the word of God is eternal. Our lives are temporal. It's going to fade away. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. That's what they believed and obeyed. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, listen to this, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord gives grace. You understand? So the fact that God has been gracious to you, the fact that God has redeemed and saved your soul, you will have an appetite for his what? His word. And you can rest in that. That's an assurance from the Word of God that I am a child of God. Right? But without that, brothers and sisters, you're going to find Christianity very laborious. You understand? it's, It's not too long before you ain't going to want to do this Christian thing if you don't have a love for God's Word. If God hasn't been gracious to you and given you an appetite for His Word. And you may sit under his word for a season, but you won't endure. You know why? Because you really don't have a heart for the word of God. Okay? So the first thing that we need to understand is we must be truly born again. We must have a soul that is acclimated to receive God's word. And only God can do that. Secondly... Make sure it's the word of God you are hearing and not the traditions and doctrines of men. Remember, Israel fell into others interpreting the word for them. Men who allow their own biases and carnal agendas to get in the way and succumb to their own interpretations of the word of God as a rule and guide for other people's lives. You guys know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. 
Okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. So Satan and false teachers love it when we obey them, thinking we are obeying the Lord and His Word. Okay? You say, well, how do we avoid that? Here we go. Study God's Word for yourself. Be a student of the Word. Master the Word of God. Learn how to rightly divide and interpret the Word of God for yourself. Don't take other people's words for it, including scholars and trained men. You guys understand? Listen to scholars and trained men. Be Berean, like the Bereans were with Paul. Paul came in and preached, scholar and trained man. man. And the Bereans searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were what? So, they sought it for themselves. They, they said, you know, I like this teacher. He sounds good. And they didn't just go, I'll just follow him. Because it's convenient to do that. No, we need to be checking these teachers out. Which means we need to be coming to the Word for ourselves. And we need to take personal ownership with the Word of God. As a child of God. Right? You guys, you need to get to a place in your soul where you feel like you own the book of James, if you will. You own Hebrews. You own Romans. I know Romans. I, I feel like I own it. And that's okay because I'm a child of God. And I love the word of God. And that's my daddy. And I know my daddy's word. You understand? And if you, if, 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 if you look at a book and you're just like, I don't know what's going on in that book. I don't know how to put it together. I don't know. Then, then you're not skilled in handling the word. You understand? And that's okay, but God has given you that appetite, and as a newborn babe, you, you start desiring that you might what? Grow in your understanding of it. Does that make sense? Proverbs chapter 2, I'm going to use an old covenant verse here. I could have gone new covenant on you, but I'm going O covenant, O-C on you. This is uh, Solomon talking to his children, primarily. I, I believe the context here is Solomon is going to, he's, he's imparting wisdom to his son who's going to be next on the throne. And you guys know who that was, right? Rehoboam. And he's given his son counsel on what he needs to do to be a godly king like Solomon was. He says this, he says, and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 2, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, right? Not, not my son coming to me and say, Daddy, give me your wisdom. No, I don't want to read the Bible. Tell me what to do, Daddy. Just like church members can do sometimes to us as pastors, right? Just give me, give me the answer from A to B. No, Solomon's saying, you lift up your voice. You cry out. You search for hid treasure. You do this. That's my wisdom. That's my wisdom to you, son. I want you to handle the word of God. I want you to be doing these things before God. And watch this. This is why. He says in verse 5, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And guess who he's going to run into when you're doing this, brothers and sisters? Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. You understand? And that's what pastors want you guys to be doing. Run dead smack into who? God. It's like, Daddy, give me wisdom. And I'm like, son, go to God. 
You search, you cry, you seek. And as you do that, guess what you're going to find? The mother load. God. You understand? That's my wisdom. That's my wisdom to you. That's Solomon's wisdom to his son. And that's the wisdom you should be giving your children. You seek, you search, you ask, you knock. And let your children see you doing that. Make sense? Number three, we must mix the hearing of God's word with faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And don't confuse faith with obedience. Obedience is not faith, and faith is not obedience. Faith leads to obedience. Faith is the flavor that we keep God's commandments with. It's not a works flavor, right? It's a faith-based flavor. It's a faith approach. In your Bible, you'll always see God contrasting faith with the works of what? The law. So whether you're trying to get right with God, there's the way to approach it like a Pharisee, the publican and the tax collector parable, right? Okay, and there's people who approach God on the basis of works, and they don't get that right. And then there's people that take up Christianity on the basis of works, and they don't get that right. They lose sight of faith. Our religion is faith-based. It's not works-based. You understand? It's the flavor. It's the way we do things. That's what we mean by faith here. So the writer to the Hebrews highlights this, and you'll see this throughout the history of Israel. Israel, um, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Let's read this. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house. So the writer to the Hebrews is tying his theology and his teaching in with the Old Covenant. Good Old Testament stuff. For testimony of those which would be spoken afterward. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm till the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Where is he sending you? For those of you who are doing the Bible study made simple. He's, right, so the, the inspired writer is sending us to go back and check this out where? In the Old Testament where the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. So the writer to the Hebrews is using that to teach his people in his day. You guys get that? Watch. He says, In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation. So when you're reading the children of Israel working their way through the wilderness, keep this in mind, because the writer to the Hebrews is commenting that this is the way God wants you to look at this. And said they, are all, they always go astray Where? Ooh, there it is again. That external religion, but keeping their hearts from God. Right? See, see that pattern? And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. I'm not saying this to you. This is the writer saying it to his hearers, the Hebrews. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hear that? Who's the writer of the Hebrews talking to here? Christians. Jews that believed in Jesus and started a Christian community with Gentiles. And they were struggling. 
He says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast till the end. While it is said today, if this is why it is said today, or this is why it is said is what it should read. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's talking to them not to harden their hearts, not God. He's saying, if you hear his voice, don't let your hearts become hardened. He's saying that. So the question would be, well, how in the world do we keep our hearts from becoming hardened if it's my responsibility? For who, having heard, rebelled, and indeed, was it not all who came out of uh, Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was God angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not, what? So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Here's where the faith point comes in. Okay? Uh, four, one. Therefore, since a promise remains entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. And then he goes on to say, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to who? So the scriptures are letting me know that the gospel was preached where? To the children of, to the children of Israel in the wilderness under the old covenant. Right? Is that fair? The gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Well, what in the world did the gospel look like? Because I don't hear anything about Christ and, and forgiveness of sins and death, burial, and resurrection and all that stuff. So where was the gospel preaching? What did it look like and sound like? Right? Because some people tell me that the gospel always has to include Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection all the time without exception. If that's the case, then what is he talking about? Right? See, we've got to be discerning, brothers and sisters. We've got to deal with the scriptures themselves to form our theology and how we interpret the Bible. He says, For the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You understand? There's some people who hear the word of God, you guys, that don't mix it with faith. They love their works. They love their system of trusting themselves. They don't want to make themselves vulnerable. They're not humble. They take the commands of God, they take religion, and they do it in their own strength. Follow me? Now you can just say, ah, they're not born again, but it's not just that simple. Abraham and Sarah tried to make God's promise that he would be the heir of children by what? by their own strength at first, right? So, so we, we don't want to do this. Well, you know, the people of faith are all saved and those who are not, you know, they're all unconverted. That's bad inter interpretation and application of the word of God. That needs to be corrected in your thinking. Abraham and Sarah tried to make the promise happen in their own strength, not faith, and then God had to reprove them. And they had struggles for a while. And then they began to realize, oh, we're not operating by faith. We're not trusting God. We're relying upon our own strength. We're relying upon ourselves. And then they began to realize, oh, that's the flesh. And the promises are not attained by what? Our flesh. It's through the spirit that we wait. It's through the spirit that we believe. It's through the spirit that we depend and trust and rely. That's faith. Make sense, brothers and sisters? See, Faith is a lifestyle of you and I as God's people putting our hope and confidence in his promises. In his promises. 
not by you and I trying to you know, make our lives better and, and, and see how good we can get it down here. And, and I mean, in, even in a, in, a, in a Christian, practical, theological sense, we don't keep the commandments to, to, to make our lives better down here. You guys understand? We believe the promises of God and we put our hope and our confidence in them. And that's what it means to live by faith. And faith will always make you vulnerable. Okay? Number four. We must obey God's word. We must obey God's word, brothers and sisters. So as you approach God on the basis of faith, as you begin to lean and trust him and his promises, he'll lead you into what? Obedience. You remember the children of Israel when they were uh, to take over um, or inherit the promised land? And, and God says, you know what? Moses, tell them to go send spies out. And the spies went out, and the spies spied out the land, and then 10 spies came back saying what? We can't do this, guys. The Anakim are over there. You guys know who the Anakims are, right? Giants, right? And the cities are fortified, and, and so on and so forth, right? And then two came back saying, let's do it. We can get this done. You know Why? Because we have a who? God. And you guys, our next series, I'm hoping that we can, you know, we, we've done this discipleship thing in the Sermon on the Mount, but our next series, I'm hoping we can exalt God so that we can see a clearer picture of who God is and how, how our faith can, can trust in his promises and, and his goodness and his strength and his power, right? But the children of Israel listened to the report of those 10 and Mothers started doing things like, no, my baby's not going over there. No way. Right? And we don't want our 20-year-olds to die in war. Right? And their faith was challenged. You guys get it? They weren't willing to die. Right? They weren't willing to trust God. And they wound up disobeying God. And their carcasses did what? Fell in the wilderness. That's what Hebrews is talking about. Hebrews chapter, because of unbelief. See how it works? See the point? It's no different for you and I. See, we've had to trust God to get us a new pastor, right? And all kinds of things come up. But we're here. Why? Why, brethren? Because God brought us here. We've been trusting him and his promises to provide for us and to keep us in the way. You understand? And our job is to continue to help you guys navigate between this, your own strength and, and the promises of God so your hope and your confidence will be in God all the way to heaven. The path to paradise. It's difficult, but we have a mighty God, don't we? An all-powerful God, an all-seeing God, an all-wise God. Right? And then last but not least, and I, and, and I wanted you guys to turn to James chapter 1, 21 through 25 to see. Um, you don't have to turn there. We're, we're just going to close this out. But mark it down because I don't want to violate my own principle of uh, not having you guys study the word for yourself. Obedience could be a scary thing, brethren. It means that we will put ourselves in harm's way to enter the promised land. It means that we will have to give up our beloved lusts and sinful pleasures. Hebrews, or uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 
uh, 1 through 10. But this is the path to paradise. It's through obedience that we keep our hearts from hardening and becoming self-deceived. It's not through obedience that saves us. It's through obedience that we keep our hearts from becoming hardened and self-deceived. You guys get it? Finally, brethren, we must be in the Word. Now, I know that as a pastor, I get paid to be in the Word of God, and I love it. That's a perk, right? But um, let me say this to you. Do what you can, okay? Do what you can to value God's Word, to be in God's Word. Love God's Word, guys. Please, all right? Don't allow the devil to rob you of the value of this book. Okay? If, if, and let me give you some, uh, just some things that, that I, I would recommend that you do, that I did for years. You know, if you can't actually get in the Word yourself, and I think you guys can. I think you guys can set aside time to do that. But listen to good preaching, all right, on a regular basis. Read good books that are centered around the Word of God and do that in a discerning fashion, brothers and sisters. So just so that you know, I'm not anti-book and I'm not anti-preaching. You know, we're just all Bible-believing and we just take our Bibles and believe our Bibles for ourselves and we don't listen to anybody. That's pride. Okay? What I'm saying is, no, listen to good preaching, read books, but be discerning and know the Bible for yourself. That's the goal. You are becoming a student of this book. All right? And in order to do that, you have to spend time in it. You've got to prioritize your day and your life centered around the Word of God. Right? Is that fair, you guys? Okay? And we can't listen to the excuses of our own hearts and the world to preoccupy us with other things. We must, we must continue to drag the flesh. Sit down while I listen to God's Word and stay there. Stop moving. And then we sit and we listen, right? And then when the flesh goes, now can we go play? You know, we just go. Right? But don't let your flesh keep you from God's word. You master the flesh. Right? Out of love for your Lord. And allow God to preserve you as you follow his path to paradise. It's through obedience, brothers and sisters, that we triumph. Okay, mark that down. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The obedience of faith is what the scriptures call it. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, providing all of our needs in Christ. And Lord, we know that unless we depend upon you, in and through all of these things, we will fail. And so I just pray for us here at EGBC that you would continue to uh, keep us, to guide us, and to love us, Lord, as we serve you and as we trust you and as we live for your promises. And we ask it all for your glory. Amen.